0: Former Los Angeles rock radio personalities Ken Anthony and Frankie DeVita were looking for an outlet to continue to talk about their passions, radio and music. The radio landscape has changed so much over the years, and this podcast is their new avenue to discuss music, artists, media, and hopefully keep the spirit of radio alive. It's the Spirit of Radio podcast with your hosts Ken Anthony and Frankie DeVita. and now here's Ken and Frankie.
1: It's the Spirit of Radio podcast. This is podcast number three. Number
0: three. We're up to three already. We're up to three. We were wondering after the first one if there'd be even a second one. So, <laughs> my gosh, well, we
1: made it through that one.
0: And and when we say who our guest is in a second, it literally is third time is the charm. Seriously. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead.
1: This is that. Yeah, we've got a really good guest today. So uh, we are broadcasting from the beautiful Benstown Studios in downtown Glendale. Love Benstown Studios. Yes, and I just we do. I have to mention something, though. Uh, they do wonders for people who are hosting podcasts. Right. Uh, so I wanted to just say this little, little Benstown mention. Uh, you can make your job faster and easier with a Benstown podcast library, another secret weapon from your friends at Benstown. Take your podcast game to the next level with an inspiring collection of world-class music beds, loops, and sound effects custom curated by Benstown. You can learn more at benstown.com slash
0: podcast. Frankie, you are a voiceover star. You just nailed that one. So, we have a very special guest on our third podcast. And um, before we get to him... Uh, today is March 14th, 2020. We do want to mention that this coronavirus thing is kind of in full swing. So we're not trying to here make light of it. Uh be safe out there, but we want to have some fun with our our guest here, who happens to be Mr. Lou Brutus.
1: Yay, Lou Brutus.
2: Huzzah. Huzzah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and we we this is great because we've got you on FaceTime. So we get to see your face and your expressions and and that, and, and it's very lovely to meet you.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, my face is uh, just inches away from the camera on my iMac in my home studio library, so you can see the deep, dark raccoon circles I have <laughs> under my eyes from the lack of sleep, worrying about the health of the nation and the world. Uh,
0: <laughs> How are you dealing yeah. with this, Lou? I mean, um, it's yeah. Uh, again, we're not trying to make light of it. We're kind of in the the early stages of it, which mm-hmm. could last, but uh, before we jump into to you and all the greatness of Lou Brutus, you know, what's your take on it at this point?
2: You know, it's uh, it's certainly uh, not something to ignore. Uh, you just gotta, you know, take advice from the pros and uh, do your best to keep your hands clean. And uh, I'm lucky uh, in the fact that. Um, I've been able to operate uh, from home for many years now. I've got a home studio unit, backup power, and uh, you know, even if there was a, a terrible blizzard and no electricity, so long as I've got cell phone service, I can record and upload to uh, anywhere. So as for keeping the uh, radio programming uh, on the air, uh, you know, I'm I'm in good shape that way. So long as I don't go down uh, too hard myself. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, it, ex- extremely in a, in a t- very selfish way. Uh, it's terribly inconvenient because I've got my book coming out and I've got book tour stuff planned. But if, if we need to take the, uh, the book tour dates and, uh, move them back a little bit, uh, considering the terrible things that some other people are going through, uh, around the world right now, I would consider myself, uh, an extremely lucky man if that's the, uh, the biggest inconvenience that I have. And, uh, you know, people can order the book. Uh, people can get the book, um, online from Amazon or Barnes and Noble, anywhere they get books. Uh, I encourage folks to get it from local bookstores when they can. Uh, you know, uh, all of us here, uh, on the cast realize that, uh, record stores are pretty fucked yeah. and pretty non-existent in a yeah. lot of places and i would hate to have that happen in such a large degree with uh with bookstores my uh my late mother was an antique book dealer and had a bookshop i grew up around books my uh you know i don't know if you can see i'm gonna move the the, yeah i'm in a a room wow uh, library shelves Mm -hmm. hundreds probably i don't know how many books in here a couple of thousand maybe wow uh i'm a book collector myself so um You know, I have a deep love for books, and I'm excited finally to have one out. So, if we got to deal with a little bit of a virus, uh, we'll deal with a bit of a virus. But uh, if we got to deal with this virus uh, early on, you know, that's the way it is. You know, you just take the cards that you're dealt, and you play the best hand possible at that given moment.
0: Exactly. Well, Lou Brutus is the uh, national host of Hard Drive Radio. It's on coast to coast on the weekends, and during the week, it's uh, Hard Drive XL. Uh, How many uh, radio stations would you say, well, first of all, let's start with hard drive. How many radio stations uh, is hard drive on on the weekend and then maybe during the week? Because you're all over the country.
2: Yeah, the weekend version at this point, uh, (laughs) I'm terrible at this stuff. But I know it's around 100, maybe 102. Wow. uh, And hard drive, and that's the the weekend edition. Mm -hmm. That's a two-hour show. Right. For people unfamiliar, it's uh, uh, half music. And the other half is me interviewing um, uh, uh, hard rockers, mm-hmm. and the show is going on. I think this Fourth of July will be twenty-four years.
0: Incredible! Uh, so
2: we're coming up on a quarter century for that, which I, I can't wrap my pea-sized intellect around. <laughs> but we've been the, uh, you know, the first to place so many artists on that show, including Slipknot, Avenged Sevenfold, Corn uh hailstorm the list goes on and on and on for these bands and uh you know we're fiercely proud of that fact uh and then the weeknight edition which is on 10 or 12 years now right um hard drive xl is a 5 hour a night 5 night a week it's like a, a, a weekday night
0: you're like the, you're going. like the night jock on right. a ton of radio stations yeah. across the country right yeah, and, and i think that's
2: about 40 stations okay. around the Um, so it, it keeps me busy, uh, between that and, uh, you know, I do a lot of photography and I I do, uh, I've got a couple of crazy bands that I'm in and, uh, uh, you know, I, I like to keep my hands busy. I, I, it keeps me out of trouble, you know, uh, and I've worked basically multiple jobs since I'm 12 years old. You know,
0: that's one of the the things, Lou, excuse me, just a second. One of the things, we have to kind of talk a little bit about your your background before you even got to hard drive, because it's pretty incredible. I mean, stations like WMMR in Philadelphia, uh, why don't you give us just a little bit of uh, how you got into it, because part of what we're doing here with the spirit of radio, we know it's gone through a lot of changes over the last few months and last few years, essentially. We're trying to keep the spirit of radio alive, and part of it is talking about the way radio was and the way we hope it can still be. So you've been in this business for a long time, some great rock stations. Why don't you give us just a little bit of a background on where you started and some of the stations and then we'll uh, dive more into hard drive.
2: You know, uh, actually, uh, uh, to sort of preface my own radio career, um, it might be really perfect for this show uh, maybe to go into to background about where I grew up and and how I started doing this because I I, I grew up uh, in a little town called Englishtown, New Jersey, and uh, I was born in Newark, New Jersey, but we moved down to Englishtown uh, when I was about one and a half, two years old, and um, at that point it was like the middle of nowhere. We were literally a rural delivery address, an RD uh, address for the post office, and. Uh, It was kind of the middle of nowhere, but the cool thing was we were just an hour away from New York City and Mm. an hour away from Philadelphia, so we got all of the New Jersey radio stations, we got all of the New York radio stations, and we got all of the Philadelphia radio stations. Mm. It was a wonderland to just spin the radio dial on either the AM or the FM side um some of my earliest memories i have as a kid was um and this must have been before i was even going to school um i remember listening to william b williams on wnew which uh uh you know played frank sinatra and big band stuff and and you know those artists back then tony bennett they they were like still in the kind of in the middle of their careers maybe towards the the end of the middle mm-hmm. of their careers but uh, I still distinctly remember hearing uh, Frank Sinatra, That's Life, when it was a current. Wow. And to this day, it's still one of my favorite songs. And uh, I, I think if if uh, anyone who's listening right now wants to look up the lyrics, uh, I'm guessing it's Jimmy Van Heusen, but I could be wrong. Uh, if you look up the uh, the lyrics to the song, That's Life, it, it's it's one of the most essential songs to try and live by. Yeah. Uh, it's just a, it's an inspiring song, particularly when the chips are down.
0: Riding high uh, in um, April so and I, shot I've down always, in May, right? Say again? Riding high in April and shot down in May.
2: Uh, but I know I'm going to change that tune when I'm back. <laughs> I saw, I actually saw Sinatra perform that once. Uh, it was a private invitation only, uh, show at the, uh, the Golden Nugget Casino in Atlantic City. Wow. I saw Sinatra three times, twice there at the Nugget and once at the Spectrum in Philadelphia. But anyway, so um, even as a little kid, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing i AM as a kid. And then as I started to get uh, just a little bit older, and I'm talking like maybe seven, eight years old, uh, I remember starting to listen to radio stations like 77 WABC in New York, which had just an incredible air staff. Um, at that point, it was Harry Harrison in the morning, Ron Lundy in midday, uh, their afternoon guy is still the person I consider the greatest straight-up music DJ of all time he passed away uh, just a year or two ago Dan Dan Ingram, Ingram. you Dan know Ingram. Ingram. I've heard uh,
0: yeah. wow I've heard yeah. his stuff and we're all radio junkies here Frankie and I and of course you um wow it's just like it's like listening to a Mozart or someone in in in, in, in the way that he you know, did his thing uh captured the energy um wow you're right dan ingram
2: yeah you know uh, all of those jocks uh in that time particularly at abc because they were they were the best of the best and at night when the am radio signals boom in around the country you know they were a top rated radio station essentially in every market east of the mississippi um Mm -hmm. But uh, you take a guy like Dan Ingram, he was able to backsell the song he was playing, tie something from the lyrics into whatever he was promoing in the break, tie that naturally into the next song he was going into, and maybe even get a short weather thing in there and do it all in like 12 seconds. It's unbelievable. (laughs) There was never not music underneath him. It was just, it it was only the essential syllables he needed Mm -hmm. to use. And he was funny, and he was witty. He was snarky before anybody knew what snark was. <laughs> uh, he, he was he was just brilliant. I, I really encourage anybody who has any kind of an interest in any era of radio uh, to go back, and you can hop on YouTube and find uh, Dan Ingram Airchecks, uh from ABC. Just just brilliant. So anyway, so here I am in this, you know. Essentially, uh, I keep using the word essentially, I, I haven't slept all day. Uh, uh, I'm in this tiny little town, but I'm getting all of this major market uh, media uh, coming in. And um, uh, it includes all of these incredible radio stations. And I just thought, well, that's the greatest thing in the world. I, I want to do that. I, I want to be on the radio. It sounds like the greatest, most interesting uh, interesting job uh, in the world. So th- that's what sort of put the initial idea in my head uh and um how old were you when i first started yeah when radio? you first started because you know frankie uh, uh,
0: we we talk about this and frankie you you talk about yeah, it about what's i always want to
1: know like what like what was the what was that thing in radio that first piqued your interest to pursue it and how old were you when you decided like i want to do that I want oh to no! That. I
2: I mean I was six or seven years old. Wow! And I just I just started memorizing all the patter that was on the radio, and uh, you know I I didn't quite understand how it worked because I I thought the guys lived at the radio station and <laughs> were there all the time, and you know, and because you, you're a kid, you know, you don't understand. Well, if there was a couch
1: but, and they did the overnights, you know,
2: possibly. Yes. Yeah, you know, but 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 it just seemed really exciting to me. And and I've always had the other thing that that has really been a guiding light for me in life is music. I mean, I've, mm. I've just loved music. Uh, initially, the Beatles, right. uh, I had an older sister and she would play their records all the time. And uh, uh, by the time I was like eight or nine, I was totally keyed in uh, to music and the music on the radio. And I knew what the charts said and uh i i was just enamored of the whole thing i mean i started memorizing album liner notes when i was you know 10 11 12 years old uh if it weren't for what i'm doing now i'd have fucking starved to death a long time ago because i have no other <laughs> i have no other talents or abilities it's like you know where are you going to get a job after having memorized album liner notes yeah so you you damn well better get a job with uh, a music radio thing so anyway um I actually managed to get my senior year in high school on WABC. Uh, I graduated Manalapan High School in June of 1980, and it was that spring. They were still doing uh, uh, a feature on Fridays, and every Friday night, they would feature a high school in the uh, New York metropolitan area, and they would have four students come in and each do a different 30 second spot, uh, about some aspect of the school. And, uh, they, they apparently called our school and, uh, I get called into the principal's office and I thought, Oh, you're shit, in trouble. What did I do now, <laughs> you know, cause I, I, I wasn't really interested in school. I already w- knew I wanted to do this radio music thing, you know, and I'm 16, 17 years old and already, uh, thinking I'm going to go down that road. And, uh, Mr. Bruchet, his name was Bob Bruchet, he was a good principal, nice guy, calls me into his office and he said, how would you like to be on WABC a week from Friday? And I was like, well, you know, I'm starting to listen more to cooler FM radio stations, but yeah, if it'll help you out, Mr. Bruchet. Uh, at, at, At this point, uh, I'm doing the uh, the the uh, the the afternoon PA announcements, the last two minutes before class lets out, and I would do it like in total AM radio style. <laughs> I mean, I must have sounded like a complete asshole, but they let me do it, and everybody got a kick out of it. Um, so anyway, they, they they contact our high school and they speak to my principal, and I'm the first guy he calls in, and uh, we end up at the uh, it was in the old uh, uh, that the old abc black building like a polished black marble building and uh, abc tv was out of there and uh, wplj and uh, abc am uh and uh, i remember we went in to a production studio and the engineer had this is ye olden days uh had a cart uh, a cart which is what uh, the 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 limited time tapes that they would put commercials on or or sound effects.
1: I came to an A-track. He had taken
2: a piece. Like an (laughs) A-track, right? Yeah. He had had taken a piece out of a Toyota car commercial that was touting its gas mileage. And uh, about a hundred times while we were in the studio, he kept playing the little clip that said, I just fill her and forget her. (laughs) And, you know, we're dumb kids, and so we thought that was the funniest thing in the world. So anyway, we we, uh, we tape our spots and, uh, you know, it aired back on, on ABC that Friday night. And I remember tuning in on my sound design clock oh. radio uh, and it, uh, it was just one of the biggest thrills of my life. Um, so anyway, um, to make a long story even longer, uh, I... Uh, uh, I end up, uh, going to my local community college, uh, cause I had sucky grades and forgot to take the SATs and all this stuff. So I end up at the community college, but they had a great radio program, uh, Brookdale community college. Uh, we called it UCLA university closest to the Lincroft area <laughs> uh, in Lincroft, New Jersey, but they had a great radio station. And, um, I was also working at um, the big Six Flags Park in Jackson, New Jersey, Great Adventure. And I was a sound man and a follow spot operator for the Americana musical. It was actually a great gig. Uh, it, 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 for Six Flags, it, it paid quite a bit of money and it was interesting work and we didn't have to wear, you know, dumb uniforms with name tags or anything. And um, we at one point had a multimedia show called the Rock and Roll Time Machine. And people would come in with their kids, and it, it was like, you know, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, and it had three screens, and, you know, you got a history of rock and roll in it. And, and afterwards, people would come up to me at the soundboard, big Yamaha mixing board in the middle of the theater, and they would ask questions about stuff. Well, one day, a guy walks up, and he starts asking about the copyright loss for the clips. And uh, you're going to think I'm making this up, but my hand to God in heaven, I swear this is the truth, a voice in my head said... Opportunity is knocking. Open the door. Hmm. And uh, I look at the guy and said, "You know, you sound like you know what you're talking about. Are are you in the in the business?" And he said, "Well, my name is Rod Carson. I do shadow traffic for WMMR in Philadelphia. Hmm. I also do weekends." And uh, I said, "Oh my God, I love MMR. I listen to the station every day, which I did. It was no, it was no lie. Um, how do I get my foot in the door?" And he said, "Well, you know, uh, you know this. It seems like you know this stuff pretty well." Um, here's my card. Call this number. Ask for HR and a woman named Beverly Rohan, and we'll see about getting you an internship. And I got the internship. The internship turned into a morning show producer job. And and the, these each one of these layers of the story are, could be a separate chapter in my book. Uh, but I end up being, I think, the first intern to make it onto the uh, air staff of the radio station. So well, I was with reading. only a short stop at community college, I end up working for 93.3 WMMR, which is still, it, it's actually the only of the old guard original FM rock radio stations left on the planet. And from there, uh, everything else uh, happened. I went from uh, MMR in Philly, uh, where I was there four years doing weekends and morning show producer. And I thought, well, I need a change. So I I went up and briefly worked with Jim Kerr at WPLJ in New York, but it wasn't a really good fit. Uh, and I left after a few months and it was very amicable. Um, I, I I wasn't enjoying the job and I didn't think the stuff that I, I kind of wrote and styled was a, a good fit. And they agreed, but everybody just thought, myself included, oh man, it's too bad it didn't work out. They gave me a huge severance <laughs> check. And then I thought, well, I've got to go out and do my own show now. So. Uh, I ended up doing afternoons at WHJY in Providence, which is another great old-time rock station. Great station, yep. Um, I went from there to do part-time at BCN in Boston, which is another gone station now. Mm -hmm. they're, They're no longer there, but they were a great rock station. Went back to MMR to do nights from there to afternoons in Chicago, where that's where I started doing the weekend syndicated hard drive show. From there uh, to the only radio job I did not enjoy, which was mornings at WHFS in DC. Um, and uh, from there to uh, uh, to the XM gig. Uh, and that's gone on 19 years now, so... Uh, so that's that's the whole that's the radio thing in a in a nutshell. So uh, you know, and amongst all that, the weekend version of Hard Drive, which is now you know coming up on twenty four years. Uh, so and the uh, the weeknight version, which is like uh, again ten or twelve years. So uh, so there was, it's uh, it's busy stuff. That
1: was that was something I was reading about you getting the the internship and that you also were a request line operator, which uh, I I can identify oh, I, with I, as well. But you got your big break, really, from a string of sick people.
2: Oh, yeah. it. it I, I mean, there have been a few times in my life where absolute blind luck played into things. Uh, and, and actually, before I tell you the story you're asking about, Frankie, um, I, I ended up interning at MMR for like a year and a half. And it was only supposed to have been a three-month internship, and finally somebody at corporate said, "The fuck is this kid? <laughs> he could sue us for not paying him at this point." So they so I, they had to discontinue the internship, and I was really bummed out about it. And and it was like an hour to an hour and a half commute for me to work for free, but you know I'm like I don't know, 17, 18 years old, and I'm at WMMR in Philly. I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. <laughs> Anyway, uh, about nine months later, uh, I was in town to see the Grateful Dead at the Spectrum. And uh, Pierre Robert, who's still at WMMR and an absolute legend and a great guy, oh, I was an intern for him. He was one of the people I worked for during my internship. Uh, he was music librarian. He was making like $3.50 wow. an hour. And I was working for free. Um so uh, he was doing the overnights, and uh, uh, I think I'd run into him at the dead earlier that night. He said, well, you should stop by the studio later. So I did. After the show was over, I, I went and was hanging out with him, and I was answering phone lines like I used to. And uh, John DeBella, who was the morning man for WMMR at that point, came in to set up a show. By now it's like 5 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I don't really know... I, at this point I don't really know John so I'm sitting in the corner staying out of the way and it just so happened on that morning his producer called in sick
3: mm.
2: and uh, John's not even looking at me He, I just hear him answer the phone he picks it up he goes yeah yeah great again fine bye and he hangs up and he turns up here and goes fucking calling out sick again I gotta get a real producer for this show and with that, I jumped up from the chair, held out my hand, and said, "Hey, John, I'm Lou. I'm your new producer. Good to meet you." And <laughs> he, and you he had it. a cigarette in his mouth, and he takes it out. And he goes, "You got balls." <laughs> 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 I sleep on the fucking couch in the lounge. I get off the ten. I'll buy a oh, breakfast. Oh,
0: that's awesome. And, that's and, awesome. And and
2: he, and, and he did. Um, and uh, I quit school and moved to Philly a week later. And then, and this is the other sick, uh, sickness, and this is the one I think uh, Frankie was originally uh, referring to. A few months into the uh, the producer gig, and I was making like no money, and I was living in like a one-room hovel. But I thought, <laughs> oh my God, I'm working for WMMR. <laughs> I, 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 my career is made. Yeah. Um, so uh, a few months into it, the PD, George Harris, said, hey, I can give you a shift on the weekends. You won't be a DJ, you won't be on the radio but you're gonna run the tapes for the uh, for the shows that we have. And they, they would run things like All Things Considered. There was another talk show. Uh, and the last thing that was on before we went back live was uh, Scott Muni's old show. Uh, this is Scott Muni playing the Beatles on Ticket to Ride. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then Larry Richman would come in at nine at o'clock. Well, well uh, one morning the hotline rings and it's Larry. Uh, oh, I'm really sick. I can't make it in. I'll try and be in later. Click. And I'm like, I'm flipping out. Like, we're going live in, in like 30 minutes. I don't know mm. what to do. So mm. I call George Harris, the PD. He doesn't answer. He's away on a ski vacation. So I call the APD Joe Bonadonna. Oh, yeah. And 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 it's Sunday morning. He's asleep. I'm. Yeah, hello? <laughs> Yo, it's me. Larry's sick. He's not coming in. What'll I do? What'll I do? And, and Bonadonna doesn't doesn't even blink i don't think he even open his eyes and he said i don't know sounds like you're getting your big break wow. i'd tape it if i were you click and he hangs wow. up wow and uh that's so awesome we and the go, rest is history yeah we go live at nine and uh larry eventually made it in but i think i did about two hours on the air the first song i played i think if i remember was Jer- journeys don't stop believing <laughs> just what was you know, in, the, in the music I to what to play and then the next day, I, I, I sure enough, like Joe said, I, I taped it and played the tape. And um, George said, wow, you're really good. Do you want regular shifts on the weekend? And at that point, I started doing two weekend shifts. And it was from that point, I started working seven days a week. And I, I then went 14 months straight without a day off. Wow. Um, I love stories like that. Thing. But again, I'm like, you know, 19 at this point. Mm-hmm. Or, and I'm. I'm on the WMMR and all my other, like some of my other friends are still in high school and they're like calling me up for <laughs> requests. And it was just, you know, it was just really, really uh, fun and cool. Stories and, like uh, that
1: just warm my heart. I love it.
2: Yeah. It was just, you know, blind luck. Um, but it's like they, they, they say, you know, the harder you work, the luckier you're luckier yeah. you get. I think just because if, if you're in place doing a job, mm-hmm. um, Chances are you'll crisscross with other people in that industry or that job field, and and then maybe things will happen. So, so Lou, bef- anyway, that- be- before we
0: jump into the hard drive thing, one of the things that you're talking about right now is something that's been kind of a running theme that Frankie and I have done in our first podcast and the last one with Melissa. Uh, with the climate of radio today, and um, we, we we have a lot to cover, but I just want to get this out of the way. Mm-hmm. With the climate of radio today with more and more, well, with, with, with less and less live jocks, with less and less young people maybe gravitating to radio, stories like yours, where do they come from in the future?
2: You know, uh, I don't know. I mean, there is, there are shows like this. There's podcasting, which is one way of sort of creating your own thing, but that's not really music you know uh you can talk about music but my understanding of the whole deal is you know you can't i, I had hoped that there would be like online radio stations mm-hmm. but you know people can't afford to pay for the music licensing and and they should pay for the music licensing i, I don't Absolutely. think they should get it right. for free and right. you know the artists get fucked enough um and it, and it's it's getting tougher for music artists and certainly you know as we record this with the coronavirus kind of running rampant mm-hmm. around the world the only way for artists to make money anymore is through touring and now they can't even do exactly right uh so the it's it's you know buckled in we're in for a bumpy ride i think in a lot of respects but um you know I, I i i i don't know i don't know how to answer your question um i was lucky enough to have come up in a time Where even a huge radio station, if they felt you paid your dues as an intern, you could end up on the air. It happened. So I I Uh, think. But now it's it's so hard. You know, there are so many super talented people who have difficulty finding work and, and people who are not only talented, but have a vast amount of experience. I think that's um,
0: the key, Lou. Uh, what we're talking about here is where and who is the next generation of people on the radio. I mean, you talked about Dan Ingram. All of us. I had um, Richard Gossett at KSAN in San Francisco when I was growing up. I used I, to. And, and by
2: the way, I, I I would go to visit my friends in my late teens. Right. Uh, a number of my friends from one of whom is featured in the book. Remind me to come back to Carl. Okay. Um. But uh, I would go out, and I remember listening to KSAN. Unbelievable station. They, they, they were, again, they were in that first wave of uh, Metromedia-owned right. FM stations like MMR and NEW. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, Please, no, I'm you
0: know, just saying, and, and Frankie, too. You know, Frankie was an intern at KLOS and with Bob Coburn. And, yeah. you know, we all had our idols, and, and I go, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just afraid with less and less live uh, jocks... And with radio not even being part of the vocabulary with a lot of young people, where are we going to find the next generation? Now, that's probably a heavy-loaded question, but I but I wanted to kind of get your take on that.
2: You know, honestly, I do not know. I think that the pool of, of people who get that experience at a young age is just going, it's already shrank yeah. dramatically, and I, I honestly don't know... Um, how it's going to get better, or how it's going to be, uh, how it's going to increase, and it's super important because anybody who, when they first get on the radio, and and if there are people listening to this who are thinking, man, I still want to do that, and I, right. I and I, I hear from people every at least every week who contact me and say, how do I do this? How do I get into it? And I immediately tell them, don't do it. <laughs> um, but the, the 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 important thing to remember, and I'm not trying to be funny or snarky, when you first get on the air you will suck yeah you are going to suck mm. horribly you will mm. suck worse than anybody has sucked <laughs> before and i can tell you that from experience i suck <laughs> i was the worst. well uh, i you know i have i still have by the way a cassette air check from my first radio show and i i want to buried with me so no one could ever hear it it's that
0: well frankie and i have our stories too i'm sure you know when you first get into it Uh, but then then the hard drive that basically started around what what year was that uh first the weekend and then and then the the the
2: the weekend was fourth of july weekend 1996, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because this year will be 24 years and then we get into the quarter century. Uh, so, I, so 1996.
1: So before you get into that, this this question will probably preface what you want to tell us. So okay. I love that you say you are a professional music fan. I feel the same way. I feel like I was a fan first before I was a DJ. Um, so with that feeling... Um, that's what leads and drives your passion to pursue the craft and the art of radio uh, is that professional music fan. So how did you approach hard drive with that sense?
2: Well, you know, I, I, for hard drive, which is really driven by the interviews, you have to you have to approach the interviews from a fan standpoint. You have to think like a fan to often mm. get to interesting subject matter that an artist, might not get in their other conversations. Now, certainly when an album has a new artist, you're going to ask sort of nuts and bolts questions about how the album went together. And and the answers Mm -hmm. can sometimes kind of be the same, but often they're going to be dramatically different based on who you're speaking to and what they just went through. I just yesterday, I was on the phone with a guy and I've known him for 20 plus years now, I think. Uh, Ivan Moody from Five Finger Death Punch, one of the first bands that I ever traveled with, was his uh, his old band Moto Grader, um, and uh, you know him talking about their latest album, which is called Fate. Uh, just the the sort of putting it together stuff was funny and entertaining, but again, uh, uh, Frankie, back to your original point, you know, I I, I think you have to approach everything um, like a fan, and and and. Uh, Again, for hard drive, that's how the interviews are, but I think everything in relation to my career, I try and think and act like that. Um, I'm still excited to meet artists. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I have a huge collection of memorabilia. Uh, I, I, still, I always clear it ahead of time, but I always like to bring stuff to get signed. Normally for me, it's concert posters. I have a vast music memorabilia collection with much of it being posters, like over a thousand autographed posters. Um, I, I think it's important to never lose sight of why you got into this stuff in the first place, mm-hmm. because I think one of the most common things that happens to anybody, whether you're in radio or the recording industry side, or or you're in a band, you get jaded, you get burnt out, and you and you, you forget why you were a fan in the first place and that's why I still have favorite groups that I like to go see that I still get butterflies in my stomach when the lights go down when they hit the stage bands like you know bands that I've been seeing a long time like Cheap Trick um a band like Slipknot you know and, and those are two bands that I've seen you know 50 plus times each uh more recent bands that I get super excited to see like The Struts wow. uh, I think are, are an amazing group Bones UK is a favorite band of mine lately. Their debut album is really fantastic. You know, you've got to continue to find reasons to be excited about music and not just the stuff you know, but also about newer artists. And, and that's another thing that ties in hard drive. I mean, we've we've been, you know, breaking and helping to break all of these rock bands over the course of the last quarter century. And it's because, you know, you've just got to voraciously... Check out what's going on. Um, So, Lou... It's it's as complicated and as simple as
0: that. um, In my role as the rock editor at uh, All Access, we do this uh, feature called 10 Questions. And I was particularly Mm. struck by uh, one of the things you said. One of the questions I asked was um, all the work that you do. I mean, you're a photographer... Um, we're going to talk about Darla, the uh, wonder dog and in, in a little bit, of course, we're going to talk about, he's running for office this okay. fall, but all right. but one of the, one of the, um, things that you said, and it's an old adage that I was particularly struck by was, and I love this, be meticulous in your preparation so that you may be chaotic in your work. Absolutely love that.
2: Yeah, you can't write crazy shit to say on the air if you can't find your fucking pencil. You know, it's, just, it's, yeah, uh, you just have to be organized. I mean, I, I sometimes let my home office studio turn into a rat's nest, but not usually because I need everything in its place so it's there when I need it right. so I don't have to stop and and figure it out. Because if, you're, if you break the flow of concentration, you lose the creativity and you lose ideas or you lose spontaneity and and then you you're screwed so when i read uh, when i
1: read that quote from you it reminded me of rob halford because he very much is he likes things a certain way before a show and then he goes out there and he brings it
2: well i uh, uh I, yeah. And I knew that about Rob and uh, I, I think his other bandmates kind of kid him about it sometimes, but they understand that that's how he operates. Um, I, I uh, I remember one time there's a, a great guy who does, uh, he's a very old friend of mine who, uh, oversees, uh, I guess events marketing for clear channel, uh, a guy named Dennis O'Heron who started as a promotion assistant, uh, in Providence, Rhode Island when I worked at WHJY. And uh, he's a fantastic guy and a superb professional. But he used to bust my balls back in the studio because when I, when I stand in front of the mixing board, I need everything in its place. The mic has to be uh, perfectly positioned and everything around me. That includes: I need a yellow highlighter, a black sharpie, and a black ink pen, and they all have to be placed in a certain way. Oh, uh, that's funny. In the middle of a break on the air, and Dennis would kind of slide in from the side and he would slightly rearrange the pens. And me, without even noticing it, I put them back in place while I'm j- gesturing and doing all my on-air shit. And to him, that was the height of hilarity. Um, it's, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I need everything in a particular way for me to be able to, uh,
0: to operate it. Uh, John Wooden, <coughs> uh, the, uh, famous basketball coach, but I call him teacher. One of my favorite quotes is along the same lines. Um, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Very oh, yeah. simple quote and a famous one. And it came from him. And I just, I just had to uh, mention that because I know having listened to you for the years, the show is great. You know, crazy stuff, but I know how much preparation goes into it, so I, I had to mention that. And really, we need to start talking about your book because yes. we're about forty-five minutes into this. We got another fifteen minutes or so, and, and and let's let's get into it. Sonic Warrior: My Life as a Rock and Roll Reprobate, <laughs> Tales of Sex, Drugs, and Vomiting at Inappropriate Inopportune Moments. Is I just want to know when is that the it, when entire, is it? Uh, uh, title? That's pretty long. <laughs> when is
2: it an yeah, opportune yeah. moment to vomit? I guess? <laughs> and and it, it's sort of ironic because the book is such a quick read. You know, I, I think it'll it, it's going to be like a, a perfect summertime read because the chapters are all sort of short and punchy and they're all kind of goofy, really. And I think in a way it, it might be a, a sort of a, a good vibe to have for a book right now because given the political climate the presidential election on the way, and uh, everything in the, the healthcare world right now. I mean, <laughs> if ever people needed a book that'll give them a laugh and and sort of peel back the layers of of stupid shit in the rock and roll world, <laughs> uh, you know, this is the book for it. Now, you might remember I mentioned my friend Carlos uh, earlier uh, in the uh, uh, earlier in the podcast. The opening chapter of the book um, sort of immortalizes him in a way. And just so you understand, each chapter in the book is a separate standalone story. And they're not in any order, not chronological. It would be like if we were all standing around the bar after a concert or covering a festival together. And and everybody, you know, all the radio people, they trade war stories. Mm -hmm. I ever tell you about the time I was blah, 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 Mm -hmm. blah, blah. And everybody's got their stories. Uh, well, I'm doing this along. I'm doing this for like 40 years. So I got a lot of stories with a lot of people. Um, so the first chapter, which sort of gives a little bit of background on me growing up, uh, is entitled The Time I Attended My First Concert and Threw Up on Carlos Sanchez. <laughs> and uh, uh, w- one of the other cool things in the book uh, is there is an original illustration for each chapter by my longtime graphic artist, a guy named Alan McBain, who's a good friend of mine, he does mm-hmm. phenomenal work. Uh, anybody who follows my career, particularly online, you'll see all sorts of like great uh, uh, artwork and graphic work. Uh, for the most part, that is all Alan. And uh, I knew I wasn't gonna be able to have a photograph of everything I talk about in the book. You know, there wasn't gonna be a, a, a picture for every story. And I thought, well, I don't want to put photos in if it's not consistent. And then I thought, we'll have Alan do something. And uh, his drawings are very sort of Mad Magazine-esque. So the first one is is me literally soaking Carlos with vomit in the hallway <laughs> at Madison Square Garden. Uh, just to encapsulate the chapter very quickly, I had just turned 14. I had a terrible case of the flu. Should not have gone to the concert that night, but I didn't wanna miss my first show. My, my older sister, Patty, and her boyfriend at the time, Carlos, uh, were, were taking me to see Black Sabbath and Ted Nugent. Wow. And it was December 1976, Madison Square Garden. And uh, I, I wasn't feeling good, but you know, I was excited and we got to the show and Nugent, Uh, who hadn't gone crazy with politics at that point, was just really a fierce guitar player and very entertaining to see, did a a great show. He had just released his free-for-all album, and in the excitement of the moment, I thought, wow, I know what I'll do to get in the mood for Black Sabbath. Uh, I take a bottle of Boone's Farm strawberry (laughs) wine, tilt my head back, and drink the entire fucking bottle at once. Oh, wow. And this is with the flu, and I'm not even a drinker. You know, I'm 14 years old. What the hell do I know about drinking? Uh, so anyway, I pass out. I miss Black Sabbath, and when I wake up and we start to leave the show in the crowded hallways of Madison Square Garden, I start projectile vomiting <laughs> over everyone <laughs> and everything. Oh lord! Oh. Um, and and it 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 graphically explains <laughs> uh, everything going on. So that's the first chapter, and then every other chapter, most everything is essentially built around concerts and things that happen with concerts, or at the very least music artist and and i'll just throw out some of the sample chapter titles um
0: i love these by the way i i had a couple i was gonna but you go for it because they are i mean they're clever in themselves
2: i'd be curious to hear like like which chapter titles it it, you know well uh, um, the
0: the time our tour bus ran over a guy on the new jersey turnpike Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) true story I, i was traveling with stone sour Uh, that's one of the fun things that I get to do because some of these artists that I've known for so long and they know, you know, I I don't do drugs. I'm not a drinker. I don't do stupid shit. So, you know, a lot of people invite me to travel with them. Um, so in the title, uh, when you
1: says sex and drugs, those are the other guys.
2: Yeah, pretty much yeah, well, yeah, I, explained, I explained right in the front of the book that no one will fuck the radio details. So, you, know, uh, you find that out early on. But there's something that, like like one of the uh, one of the things um um early in the book before the actual chapters start, uh I kind of break down the division of labor in rock and roll. And the last thing uh here, actually, you know what? Let me read the radio description because I, it. um, I think it's in here in the, the base. Oh, it's the section is called Overture. Who does what? And, I, you know, I talk about the touring roadies and the drivers, lead singer, bass player. And then finally, we come to radio DJs. <laughs> Quote. The guy from the local radio station who sometimes gets to go on stage at a concert in between bands and shout into a microphone for up to 30 seconds. There is no sex, very little drugs, but plenty of rock and roll for these people. You will learn more about the shame and degradation involved in this position throughout this book. Oh,
0: that's and, uh, perfect.
2: You know, that. I do I do mention groupies, and a lot of people are very dismissive and snarky about groupies um but it's all part of it
0: man i mean well
2: it, it's part of it and if they want to have sex with musicians for fun who who am i to judge you know it, it's their life and, and but but like the the more important thing um was once i found out that the groupies are not interested in the radio guys the groupies could actually be really good sources of information exactly. because they were actually mm-hmm. kind of pretty plugged in with the crew members or the band members, you could find out a lot of information uh, and sometimes work it into the interviews of the artists based on what the groupies knew. So, I, you know, I, I always tell people, and I explained it in the book, you should respect, well, you should respect anybody you meet in life, but particularly when you're out covering a rock and roll show or a rock and roll tour, you know, be cool with everybody. Be cool from the lead singer of the headlining band down to who's ever mopping up the floors at the end of the night. Everybody has a story. Everybody has interesting things that you can learn if you'll shut up and tell uh, and 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 ask them and uh, allow them to uh, to share with you. But uh, uh, anyway, the uh, this the, the I was traveling with Stone Sour and uh, yeah, our bus hit a guy on the New Jersey turnpike. Wow. He he now physically he he was okay. Um, we only clipped him, although he was out trying to get hit if it had been a real tragedy, I would not have put it in the book. Yes. There, you know, it's not the kind of book and this probably will not help sales, but I say it anyway. <laughs> um, it's uh, uh, like, I've seen plenty of shit behind the scenes and I could have written like a tell all book. Yeah. It, yeah. I saw this person and they were mm-hmm. high on drug or like I've seen tons of shit I could fill 10 books with that but I don't want to be an asshole
0: well, you, know? you want it to be have the humor that Lou Brutus brings I have to read two more really quick and then Frankie's going to mention when the book's coming up but I also like this one uh, the time Snoop Dogg got me so high I drooled in my own lap
2: <laughs> That that's a true story that was from uh, Snoop was on the Project Revolution tour with Lincoln Park uh, I saw and, that tour um, yeah, th- that was a fantastic tour. Um, and at the last minute, my uh, producer at the time, like I finished my my interviews by the late afternoon, and my producer came to me and said, uh, hey, do you, wa- you want to talk to Snoop Dogg? He's not on your list, but you want to talk to him? And I said, fuck yeah, I want to talk to Snoop Dogg. A super interesting guy, he's a, he's a great artist, he's a great businessman, mm-hmm. uh, and he was he had just announced like just a couple of days before, I don't know if you guys remember, Snoop is clean. Snoop's not yeah, smoking weed right. anymore. And I thought, well, there, you know, there's, I don't have anything prepared, but I'm, I, you know, uh, and I normally deeply prepare for an interview. But I thought, well, yeah, you know, I can strike up an interesting conversation with Snoop, I think. Um, long story short, I kind of have to take a couple of hits off a blunt he's gotten. It was like a just <laughs> giant cigar hollowed out with... <laughs> and, and at this point, the the previous time I'd smoked weed was like 10 years before. And that was with Dr. Hunter Thompson. And that, oh that's gosh. another chapter in the book. Um, so anyway, I don't want to offend Snoop and his guys are kind of staring at me like, why aren't you hitting this? So I, I hit the blunt twice. And and like <laughs> Colombian dirt weed would have fucked me up at this point, but this isn't like the dirt weed that I smoked growing up in Englishtown, New Jersey. This is some sort of mutant Snoop weed. <laughs> this is this is out of some you know lab deep beneath the Alps in Switzerland, where some pharmaceutical company is testing it. You know, probably run by you know old Russian scientists in the Stalin era. You know, it's just. It's not me- some uh, things man was not meant to meddle with. So I hit this thing twice. Uh, I swear to God, if if you look on my social media feeds, you can yeah. find the picture of Snoop and I, and and he looks fine, and he's like flashing some gang signs or something mm-hmm. at the at the camera. I am staring up at him. My eyes are red slits, <laughs> and I look like the stupidest, fucking, highest, dumbest white boy on <laughs> the planet, uh, uh. and. Uh, and Man. then, I, and I and I had to drive home from there. Oh well, what uh, I go out to watch corn, so I'm sitting out at the soundboard, and I'm staring up at the ceiling of the uh, it's the amphitheater in Camden, New Jersey, across from Philly, and I'm just watching the colored balls fly around the ceiling. I'm trip, and I'm like, oh, there must have been Paraquat in this or something. And then I, I get a warm feeling, like a tingling feeling, on on my the the inside of my right thigh, and I kind of look down. And there's a string, a thick string of drool from the corner of my mouth to my chin. And I look down Uh, in my lap, and there is, I swear to God, there is a puddle of fucking drool (laughs) in my lap. And I'm like, oh, I'm so high. Oh, (laughs) Oh, that is. (laughs) Um, And uh, uh, again, Alan did a a brilliant illustration for it. It's a much longer story than that. What what was that one last chapter you were going to mention?
0: Well, the last last one, which is... I mean, wow! Um, the time I went to the Arctic—that's the one I was And got in too. a mosh pit with a bunch of kids in polar bear fur while Metallica sang about sodomizing a goat. <laughs> it all
2: happened. <laughs> I, I was, oh. I was there. I, I feel like Elrond in Lord of the Rings. I was there three thousand years ago. Um. It was the uh, Molson Ice Polar Beach Party. And uh, Molson Beer used to do uh, a crazy thing called the Polar uh, the, the, uh, uh, the Molson Ice Party. And um, they did it in Canada for a few years before it crossed over to the States. But essentially, they would pick a, a, a super cool spot in Canada. And Canada, by the way, are not only phenomenal neighbors to have, it's maybe the most beautiful country in the world. Um, so Molson would throw a a party for contest winners somewhere in Canada, and they would get a a really cool band or bands to play. Well, the first year they opened it up to the United States, they put together a lineup that was just incredible. Metallica, Courtney Love's band Hole, Veruca Salt, and I'm living in Chicago at the time, so Veruca Salt were buddies of mine, and uh, a Canadian band called Moist. And the only way to get there was to win from Molson beer. And you'd think, well, maybe I can crash it. Well, it was being held in, some people would say Eskimo, and that's actually, and I go into it in the chapter, it's not really a nice term to use. Uh, 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 it's an Inuit village, and, and the Inuits are the native people at the top of the, the world, and they're sort of strung out, you know, Canada, Greenland, Russia, mm-hmm. um and uh, the town of Tuktoyaktuk is on the north coast of Canada. It's on the Beaufort Sea, which is part of the Greater Arctic Ocean. And uh, Molson was going to fly us into Inuvik, which is where the Northwest Territories highway ends, and we were going to be based there for a couple of days. And then on the morning of the concert, they were going to fly us to Tuk. Now Tuktoyaktuk, we couldn't stay there because there's nothing there. It's like a couple of crossroads, and the roads don't even go anywhere. What if month you drive was this? To Tuktoyaktuk. You drive to a UVic, you wait for the Mackenzie River to freeze, and wow. then you drive 125 miles north on the frozen river, bang a right at the Arctic Ocean, <laughs> and then you're in tuk <laughs> uh, There's a t- TV show, <coughs> excuse me, there's a TV show called Ice Road Truckers. They actually uh, featured tuk tai in the drive up there uh, years later. Uh, anyway, for some reason, the Metallica guys uh, have, have uh, been very kind to me through the years, and they've made sure that I'm I'm there for a lot of their big ticket events. I was there when they played uh, the Freddie Mercury tribute show in London. And I was there when they played Grimey's basement in Nashville and all, and all these other shows through the years. So I end up in Tuk with the band and um, um, they closed out the set with a cover of the Anti-Nowhere League's uh, song. Uh, Anti-Nowhere League was a great pub punk band uh, and their biggest song was called So What? And it is just the rudest song uh, ever written and uh the the title is called uh, uh refers to uh, Metallica singing about sodomizing a goat. It's a lyric in the song and and you will excuse the language on this, but the line is I fucked a sheep, I fucked a goat, I rammed my cock right down its throat. Oh, so goodness. what? So what you boring little fuck. <laughs> uh, and it's just the nastiest song ever written. But it was it was such a perfect song to close out this show with because mm-hmm. we were we're literally at the top of the world. Uh, and uh, the opening line of the song is I've been here. I've been there. I've been every fucking where. So what? So fucking what? Uh, and it was just such a great moment. I sort of adopted that song as a uh, <laughs> a, a theme song. And, and the band played it for me on a couple of occasions, uh, including opening a show in Chicago and, with it. What year was and, this? This would have been uh, oh, ninety-seven, ninety-eight. Let me see if the years is are... actually here. Uh, folks can't see it for the podcast, but here in my studio, um, after the show was done, I went back to the production office and I stole everything that I could, uh, <laughs> including this was a phone sign.
0: Oh my gosh!
2: Uh, and it, this has been signed by uh, uh, the bands who played. Uh, including all Metallica, Nina and Louise from Veruca Salt, and uh, it was just you know when people ask me, and again I refer to it in the book, but you know I've seen over three thousand concerts all over the world, and you know, a common question I get is you know what's the coolest show or what's the best show you've ever seen, and the the most nice Polar Beach Party is one I mentioned, uh, the Freddie Mercury tribute show yeah. at Wembley Stadium in London is another. That's another one that Metallica played that I was there for. Uh, and interviewed them and hung with them there. Uh, and, and by the way, I don't want anybody to think that I'm like buddy buddies with Metallica and that I hang out with them or anything. Uh, it's a professional relationship, but but it's one that I, I, I you know, I'm very appreciative of and they, they've, they I don't know why they're so nice to me, but I really appreciate it. They, uh, uh, the beginning of the last tour, um, they invited me to host their Facebook live event from on stage at uh, Raven Stadium in Baltimore. And I, you know, even after all these years, I was scared shitless because, uh, you know, they were just like, well, just walk out on stage and start talking to the guys. And there's like an audience. And, there's, you know, I, I made the mistake of asking how many people were watching. And they said, oh, we're, we're up at about four. And I went, oh, 4,000. They went, no, 4 million. Wow. <laughs> oh, shit. So, hey, so, Lou, uh, so anyway, uh, that's that. Real,
0: real quick. Uh, it's so interesting that you're mentioning Metallica. Uh, I have to mention, uh, drop a little uh, rock and roll history on you. Today, March 14th, 2020, when we're taping this, March 14th, 1982, Metallica performed their very first concert at Radio City in Anaheim, California. There were approximately 200 people in attendance. Their nine-song set only had two original songs. Their first performance, 1982, March 14th.
2: Yeah, I I think I first saw them... It may have been Birch Hill... In old bridge new jersey but i remember seeing them really early on uh i mean i love the band but i didn't think they were going to become what they became no and, way. and that's not a dig at them or right. anything i i don't think you can I, I think you would have to be really foresighted to be able to to look and see something like that in any band's future i mean you know for me the 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 first time i encountered slipknot and, and started playing them from uh it, it was a, an unfinished copy of the the record the debut album on roadrunner uh, and then seeing them for the first time i thought it was one of the greatest things i ever saw and i was convinced that they were one of the greatest bands ever but i, I wouldn't have thought they'd become as big as they they would i thought they should i thought they could but if I had said, yeah, they're absolutely going to become one of the biggest bands on the planet, I, I mean, who can say that? So, You know, yeah, what, I th- you I, know what
0: I think it is, Lou, and, and Frankie, you jump in here, and we're going we're gonna to wrap things up here in a few minutes and talk about when the book's coming out. But I think the, the thing about Metallica, and I'm from the Bay Area, so I've had a history with them for a long time. I wouldn't say they necessarily know me or I know them very well. But what I love about Metallica is that they've always been authentic, and they give back. There's not something that doesn't come up where they're not their their foundation or somebody is not giving back, and I think people need to appreciate that.
2: Yeah, they work extremely hard. They uh, they have a work ethic that I really admire and try and learn from and uh, grow from. They've certainly been very very good to radio which is great because Mm -hmm. radio was not very good to them early on. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were some uh, early voices in the wilderness. I tried to be one. Uh, One guy who I think was super supportive of them super early was uh, the late, his real name was Mike Gonzalez, but we called him Dr. Metal. And he did the metal show at uh, 94 WHJY in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, He was a dear friend of mine, uh, was the doctor, um he he traveled with them in the early days uh mike is no longer with us he was the mc uh at the great white concert in rhode island at the station nightclub when it burned down and from the witness reports mike made it out and then went back in to try and get more people out and he was not lucky enough to make it out a second time and uh, he was an awesome guy and he loved metal and fuck. He loves Metallica. He really loved Metallica more, more so than anybody that I ever knew. Um, so, uh, yeah. So your yeah, book Metallica is just, they're one of the great bands of our times and, and they're one of the groups I think everybody needs to see at least once in their life. And, you know, I deal with, a, with sort of a hard rock and active rock cra- crowd to a degree. I, I deal with a lot of other genres for uh, other things. Um, but to, to the people in who listen to me in that genre, I always tell them, you know, I don't care if, if you're into Slipknot and Korn and Slayer, you have to go see the Rolling Stones at least once. Yeah. You have to go see Paul McCartney, you have right. to go see Elton John. Mm-hmm. There's a reason that these acts have been around for 50 to 60 years, because mm-hmm. they're fucking great. Yeah. And, you, and uh, honestly, and I don't mean to insult anybody, I tell people to their faces, you are a fool If you claim to be a music fan, but then say, oh, I don't want to go see the Rolling Stones. They're old.
1: Well, the thing about it is those bands like Metallica or Slipknot, if you ask them, they probably will tell you I was influenced by the Stones or the Beatles or, you know, that's usually the answer.
2: I was um, uh, I I had to do a project last year with The Who down in Florida at the rehearsal hall. And I called up Jim Root from from Slipknot, and and Jim is one of my favorite people in music. He's he's very quiet and shy, and uh um you know which is weird because you know he's out in front of fifty thousand people one minute and then kind of chilling backstage, the next he is the biggest Who fan in the world. Wow. And uh, I called him up and I'm like, I don't care what you got going on, you 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 want to you want to come meet Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey, wow. and he's like, I'll see you whenever it was Tuesday <laughs> morning. And I I I, uh, I introduced. It. He loves Pete Townsend. Pete Townsend's his favorite musician. And uh, Jim was like, you don't have to introduce me or anything. And I'm like, dude, no. And I I introduced. I, I made a point of doing saving Jim to the last person in line at the meet and greet. And uh, it was a nice moment. They got their picture together. I was I was so happy for Jim. I mean, Pete Townsend's an, uh, one of my favorites too. But I had met him a bunch before and interviewed him. And uh, I I think for Jim it was. Uh, it was pretty neat. He was like a four year old on Christmas. So, yeah, that, that was awesome. a pretty great day.
1: So, your book, Sonic Warrior My Life as a Rock and Roll Probate Tales and of no, Sex. No, no, no. Rock and Roll
2: Reprobate. Oh, reprobate. sorry. It, Re- I think. I, 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 I Probate, have I think, would mean I was. <laughs> <including> <laughs> this, uh, rock and right. Roll Probate. Let me, hey, <laughs> I'm here to talk to James Hetfield about <laughs> his
1: uh, <laughs> I do have it written about down, about down correctly. Entangling. All right, let me redo that. Sonic <laughs> Warrior My Life as a Rock and Roll Reprobate. Uh, tales of Sex, Drugs, and Vomiting at in a, Inopportune Moments. Uh, it is published by Rare Bird Books of Los Angeles. It's coming out April Fourteenth, Twenty Twenty. Pre-orders are now available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and the publisher, Rare, Bir- Rare Bird Books.
2: And uh, I, I uh, as of the are uh, taping this, I will be doing book tour appearances. Um, the dates of which might change given the what's going on in the world.
1: Throughout right your website.
2: Uh, yeah, it's just my name. It's Lou Um Did you do an audio book on this? What's that? Did
1: you do an
2: audio book? Oh, yeah. I'm glad you asked. The audio book comes out same day as the book, April 14th. There uh, And I've narrated it myself. If you want to hear me tell stories about throwing up awesome. uh, on people and at people and uh, getting so high, I drool in my own lap. By <laughs> God, have at it. Uh, it, it runs six and a half to seven hours. Uh, but again, I narrated it myself. I, uh, I recorded it. Uh, uh, it's out through recorded books. Uh, I use Duart uh, Media Studios up in New York City. And, you know, they they do all sorts of film stuff. Like I walk in the lobby and they have Oscars there. And I'm like, what's a schmuck like me doing, coming in here to read my little rock and roll stories? But it was a great place to work and everybody was fun. So, yeah, that's all out on April 14th. And people, again, can hit Brutus.com. Uh, to keep an eye on the updated book dates. Now I'm gonna be doing book dates like book dates for like a year or two. So even if I don't get to places in the initial rounds, uh, it looks like Rockfest in Kadat, Wisconsin is still on for July. Hopefully things will be cleared up by then and it can and happen. Uh, I'll be doing book signings there, uh, but I will be coming everywhere I can around the country. Um, and I'm not just doing signings in bookstores and some towns it'll be bookstores. In others, we're going to rock and roll clubs, and uh, we'll work hand in hand with a local bookstore who will sell books on site. Uh, but I'll, you know, do uh, uh, an overview and reading from the book for an hour, and then we'll do Q and A. Um, each of the stops in the book tour, I'm going to have uh, stuff like uh, limited edition Sonic Warrior guitar picks and stickers, and um, you know, stuff from Darla, uh, uh, my dog. Who and and uh, Ken, I know you're going to mention. Darla the Wonder Dog is my pup. Um, she is rumored to be making select bookstore appearances. <laughs> with uh, but We're not sure of exact places or dates yet, but that that's certainly in the cards as well. So, well, Lou, uh, we- again, go, ahead. go ahead. I was going to say loubrutus.com, and I'm super active on social media, at Lou Brutus on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, the Facebook page is Lou Brutus Rocks. They're all verified, so they're easy enough to find. And uh, We could yeah, talk to you for and hours and hours, and
1: hours and um, hours. It's been awesome, and uh, we may have to have you back sometime to uh, unpo- unpack the other abs- parts of abs- your
0: life. Absolutely, and by the way, Lou, we are followers of you on Instagram. Um, is the picture of the drool uh, on one of your old uh, Instagram posts uh,
2: <laughs> no, you know actually, did, did should I? I want to see that? You
0: should post it.
2: I don't. Well, we haven't posted online any of the illustrations okay. yet. Right. Did I? Did I have a chance? And I forgive me for not remembering. Right. I did show a number of people on my phone. Did I show you any of the illustrations on my phone?
0: Um, I don't believe so. Um, but yeah, on a, here, in a podcast version, let, let's maybe just show us one and we can describe it on the podcast here.
2: Yeah, here. Hang on. Let me see if I can punch this up. Um, you can still hear me? Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Let me, I have to dig into the phone here. Oh, there it is right on top. So this is from the chapter of the time Snoop Dogg got me so high. I drooled in my own lap. I don't know if it'll show very well in here.
0: Oh yeah, we can't see it. It's kind of it's kind of black and white, but oh, <laughs> oh wait, yeah. there it is. Oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious. Your eyes don't look very Your good in that picture. Your eyes don't look very good. And yeah, uh, yeah. And,
2: and again, it's uh, uh, Alan McBain did such an incredible job with the uh, the illustrations. I have not yet seen them in the finished book because. All I have so far are what's called advanced reader copies, and that's what I I I, I mentioned. Question, Vegas.
0: question. Before we let you go, is it yeah. possible uh, for you to send us that uh, that illustration, and can we post it around the uh, posting of this uh, podcast, or do you have to wait till the book is out? I have
2: I have to wait. Uh, I I I know the publisher has a plan for okay. that. Okay, no worries. Uh, that they're gonna kind of sort of roll out the illustrations. Right. Uh, I I probably will give a um, maybe a tiny sneak peek because uh, again, as of the uh, recording of this, it is Saturday, uh, March, uh, March 14th. fourteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm expecting a pallet of books, a like a thousand books, to show up at my house on Monday, which I'm I'm going to sign. Oh, actually, here's something else I don't think I mentioned. I don't <laughs> think anybody knows this. They're sending me a thousand pre-orders to sign. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to sign those. I'm also going to draw pictures in some of them. Awesome. And other ones I'm going to write special messages in. Mm -hmm. And maybe it will be a message to contact me for a particular reason, for Mm. a particular thing that's super cool. The other thing I'm going to do is I have limited edition. uh, I was going to go over and grab some. Um, There's guitar picks and stickers and postcards. And um, I have uh, flyers For the uh, initial dates on the book club tour. Let me hold up one.
0: Oh, those are great. Uh,
2: I'm gonna autograph some of those. And all these, uh, a lot of the books, I'm gonna tuck extra things and hide them in the pages. So if you've got a pre-order on the way, you might find something a little bit extra in your pre-order when it comes (laughs) here. And not just from me, I have, again, a vast collection of rock and roll memorabilia. Maybe you'll find something from my memorabilia collection.
0: Wow. Well, in the, I'm, I'm, in your book. Uh, I'm, I'm not a big pot smoker, but I, for one, would love uh, to, uh, I'd love for you to sneak uh, one of Snoop Dogg's blunts in one of those books.
2: <laughs> you do not want that. Like, one of those things could take out a division of Marines. Oh,
0: my gosh. It's, hey, it's
2: dangerous. And again, he was like, he was just operating. The only other thing I, I saw in my life that was like that was, and it was actually on at a book tour stop. Ronnie Wood of the Rolling Stones had put out his first book. I think I still have the copy here someplace. Uh, It was a book of his artwork. Is this it here? I have again, library is too big here. And he came by to do uh, uh, an interview at MMR, uh, but the publicist said, "Well, you know, Ronnie will do the morning show, but he'll tape the afternoon before because Ronnie don't do mornings." So he shows up in the afternoon, we, we taped the interview, and, he, and he's just the nicest guy you could ever want to meet. And uh, he, he turns to me, he goes, oh, oh, oh are you coming to the, the book signing later? Are you coming? And I went, well, of course I'm com- I, I wasn't going to come, but Ronnie Wood asks if you're coming, and you go, hell you yeah, go. I'm coming. So uh, I go, it was either a Barnes & Noble or, um, crap, I forget the other bookstore I may have been. It was on Chestnut Street in Philadelphia in like the 1800 block. And Ronnie was in the back in the manager's office. People were already lining up. And he's having his picture taken. I never got a copy of the picture. I hopped in the pictures with him. And uh, one of the rings I wear, he was gnawing on it because uh, he had a bottle of Jack Daniels. And I walked in and said, oh, Jack Daniels, man, after my own heart. He goes, oh, come on, Lou, let's have a little nip. And uh, the uh, the manager's office had a, a, a water bubbler with those little triangular Dixie cups. So we started drinking straight Jack Daniels out of the Dixie cups I got so fucking hammered, my girlfriend had to come and get me while Ronnie was just starting his day. He's like, like a half a bottle of Jack is his wake-up. And he's like, oh, new cat, handle his medicine. And I, I, like, I, I, So very unsteadily, I walked out under my own power, but my girlfriend was so, helped, sort of helping me along. Uh, so that that was my first introduction to hanging out with uh, any members of the Rolling Stones. So, uh, awesome. yeah, all on the back of a book. Oh, it may have been... Was it Borders Books or Barnes & Noble? One, one of the two on Chestnut Street in Philly. All right. Well, I got so many stories. You do. We've got to have you. you back
1: on again sometime. We, but we, we so we, appreciate you being here today.
2: We
0: definitely need to have you back because, I mean...
1: In person when uh, you come to LA. Well,
0: are you going to be
2: in Los Angeles uh, doing a book? You know, uh, I'm, uh, I, I know... They want me in LA to do something. The, the mm-hmm. publisher and I know there's some bookstores that have expressed an interest in me there. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, I'd love to go to Book Soup.
0: Yeah, Book um, Soup is fantastic. Right yeah, on that's Sunset. Just one cool yeah, it is. I,
2: I've been there before, and again, mm-hmm. I'm like one of travel places. Other people go to bars and and strip joints. Right. I go to bookstores and Civil War museums and and pinball arcades. You know, <laughs> just, well. Uh, all my nerdy hobbies, but yeah, book soup. I'd I'd love to go there, but yeah, when I come out there, let's let's definitely try and, and carve out the time. I,
0: Absolutely, I you know affected. what? Um, we, we will. Uh, what we do is on our on our Facebook page, the Spirit of Radio uh, pay, uh, Facebook page. We post lots of things, so we will post on our um, our Facebook page. You, if you are in the Southern California area, basically any of the tours, because uh, obviously Facebook is live and nationwide. So we will do that for you, and we just want to thank you. Uh, it's just th- this this we're doing this podcast because we're trying to keep the spirit of radio alive, and with people like you around, it's in good hands. Really appreciate the time.
2: Yeah, it's well, so I don't you know that I deserve your... anything like that, but uh, you know uh, that those are really kind words, and I appreciate them very much. And uh, you know, I'm just trying to continue to do right by the tradition of great music radio DJs, guys like, you know, Scott Muni and um, Dan Ingram and and Harry Harrison, who unfortunately just passed away, and uh, Wolfman Jack. Uh, you know, his scene, uh, you know, he really is the heart and soul of American graffiti. Uh, and certainly his, his scene with Richard Dreyfuss is one of the great, Scenes ever in film, Mm -hmm. and it really gets to the heart of radio where, you know, the entire movie everybody is listening to this voice and and it's the soundtrack of everyone's lives, and then Richard Dreyfuss gets there and it's just this guy in the middle of a a room all by his lonesome trying to create a world with just sound and creating things inside people's heads and that's, uh, I I love the medium so much, I I still uh, there's no way here, actually, hold on, hold on. I'm going to show you something. Just to show you how much I love radio. Um, i got to put the phone down because I need both hands. Can you guys hang on a sec? Sure. I don't want to hurt myself getting this down, but I'm going to try. I can't get it. I can't, it's it's just too heavy. <laughs> I've got a 1946 Holocrafter shortwave radio on the top. Wow. Of, up in that corner of the room. And I, I we're might we my house. skull open getting it out. <laughs> we're,
3: we're just going to come
2: to, to your, your house. house. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, uh, well all the, memorabilia <laughs> stuff. the memorabilia stuff isn't even in the house. I have storage unit. Oh, on.
0: man, that's awesome. <laughs> all cool.
1: right. Well, we better wrap this up. But Lou Brutus, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I'm Frankie DeVita.
0: I'm Ken Anthony. This is
1: the Spirit of Radio Podcast. You can reach us at thespiritofradiopodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, social media on Instagram, Facebook. And we are so happy that you joined us today, Lou, and thank
2: you so much. In the words of Frank Zappa, good night, Austin, Texas, wherever you are. (laughs) Keep the faith.
0: Thanks for joining us on the Spirit of Radio Podcast. We'll have another episode coming soon. Please feel free to like, share, or comment. You can reach Ken and Frankie at the Spirit of Radio Podcast at gmail.com. The Spirit of Radio Podcast, keeping the spirit of radio alive.